Good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is taken from Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarrelled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brother fell before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevine or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because, because you did not trust me enough to honour me as holy in sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarrelled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Graeme Pringle. I'm an associate minister here at St Paul's. And as Jonathan has said, today we are continuing our journey with the people of Israel as they travel from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we too are on a journey. And as we travel, help us to remember that you are always here with us. And just as you spoke to Moses, pray that you'll speak to each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So on this Mothering Sunday, I want to begin by paying tribute to Miriam, Moses' older sister, who was very much a mother figure for the people of Israel. We read in verse 1, that in the first month, while the whole Israelite community arrived in the desert of Zin, and they stayed in Kadesh, there Miriam died and was buried. <clears throat> we often talk about Moses leading the Israelites to the promised land as if he did it alone. But Moses was part of a leadership team that comprised himself, his brother Aaron, who was three years older than him, and their sister Miriam, who was probably quite a little bit older than both of them. Many years later, God spoke through the prophet Micah to remind his people, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. 
I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. As a young girl, Miriam had played a vital role when Moses was just three months old. You may remember that Pharaoh had become fearful of the growing number of Hebrews who were slaves in Egypt. And orders were given that every Hebrew boy must be thrown into the Nile. So when Moses was born, his mother initially hid him at home. But when she could do so no longer, she put him in a basket and hid him amongst the reeds on the banks of the Nile. And it was his older sister, Miriam, who used to keep watch and look out for him. One day, when Pharaoh's daughter was walking along the riverbank, she spotted the basket. She opened it and discovered a crying baby. And it's at this point, Miriam immediately steps forward and says, shall I get one of the Hebrew mothers to nurse the baby for you? And when Pharaoh's daughter agrees, Miriam went to fetch her, her own mother. So if it wasn't for Miriam, that intervention as a young girl, Moses' life might have turned out very differently. It might even have ended as a baby. And now in our reading, as an old woman, Miriam is called, as a, pro- called a prophet and a co-leader of God's people. Her ministry particularly amongst the women According to Jewish tradition, Miriam led the women and taught them the law, just as Moses had led the men and taught them the law. And now we read it to the beginning of today's Bible reading. The whole Israelite community arrived in the desert of Zin, and there Miriam died and was buried. And so the death of Miriam, this great mother figure of Israel, sets the scene for one of the saddest chapters of the story that we've been following. I know that for some of us, Mothering Sunday can be an incredibly happy day, filled with thanksgiving and gratitude for our mothers. But for others, it can be a sad or difficult day, either because it reminds us of mothers who have died, or mothers who can't be with us this year because of the lockdown, or it brings back painful memories of our mothers. So wherever you are today, let's just spend a moment in silence to bring before God the relationship that we had or have with our mother. So, Miriam is dead, and trouble is brewing. And our Bible reading continues at verse 2. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died with our brother, when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? That we may, that we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. 
Of course, this isn't the first time on our journey that God's people have grumbled and complained. Very early on on the journey, immediately after crossing the Red Sea, we read in the book of Exodus, they went to the desert of Sur, and for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? And on that occasion, God told Moses to throw a piece of wood into the water, and the water then became fit to drink. A few days later, the community had run out of food, this time in the desert of Sin. And we read, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve the entire community to death. And so God sent them manna, bread from heaven, and he sent us fresh supply every morning. But later they complained about that too. We read in Numbers chapter 11, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We can remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost and also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I really like the, uh, the song that the Christian songwriter Keith Green uh, wrote where he expanded on the complaints of these Israelites and quite a humorous song entitled so you want to go back to Egypt. These are the lyrics. So you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure. Are you sorry that you bought a one-way ticket when you thought you were so sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry that you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? Well, there's nothing to do but to travel, and we sure travel a lot, because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hot cakes. We snack on manna all day. We sure had a winning dinner last night with flaming manna souffle. So you want to go back to Egypt, where your friends wait for you, and you can throw a big party and tell the whole gang of what they said was all true. And this Moses acts like a big shot. Who does he think he is? Well, it's true that God works lots of miracles, but Moses thinks they're all his. Moses seems rather idle. He just sits around. He just sits around and writes the Bible. Oh, Moses, put down your pen. What? Oh, no. Manna again. Manna waffles. Manna burgers. Manna bagels. Fillet of manna, manna patty, bamana bread. And so God sends a wind that drove quail from the sea, and the people have as much meat to eat as they can eat. And then, as we heard last week, the community listens to the reports of spies that Moses had sent to explore the promised land. And the, the spies said, it's indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, 
but the people there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw giants there. We can't attack these people because they're stronger than us. And as we read last week, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And so God says to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me in spite of the signs I have performed among them? And God was particularly angry with the older members of the community because they're the ones who had seen the miracles that he'd performed in Egypt, the great signs, the ten plagues. They'd seen how God's great power had 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 overcome there, how they'd crossed the Red Sea. If they'd seen that, surely they could trust him now. But because they refused to trust God, God declares that none of the older generation would get to see the promised land. And so that's the backdrop of today's reading. And now as Dawn read this morning, we see history repeating itself. For once again, the people are in a desert with no water. Once again, the community are without water and are grumbling. And once again, they direct their complaints to Moses and Aaron and say, why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no corn or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. And once again... God graciously provides what they need. So God tells Moses to strike the rock with a staff. And we read in verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff and water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But it's a story that has a sting in the tail. For we read in verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, You will not bring this community into the land I give them. In other words, it's not just going to be the other older members of the community who won't get to see the promised land. Now God declares that even Moses and Aaron won't get there either. But why not, you might ask. After all, it wasn't Moses and Aaron that were grumbling and complaining. So why are they being punished? Isn't it a bit unfair? But God says that the reason is because they failed to honor God. 
And I want to come back to that point in a few minutes. Now, Jonathan chose this sermon series because he saw a parallel between the journey of God's people over 3,500 years ago with the present situation that we find ourselves today. We too are on a journey to an unknown future. We're not only asking ourselves questions like, will I be able to go on holiday this summer? Or will our families be able to get together this Christmas? There are bigger questions about the new normal and what that will be like once everything has settled down. Will a lot of people continue to work from home? Will we need fewer trains? Will the travel industry ever recover? Will the economy fully recover? Will there be greater levels of poverty in our country and across the world? And all of this raises important questions for us as the church as well. How will the church need to change in order to be good news in this new normal? Three and a half thousand years ago, God promised his people that they were heading to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's true that our ultimate destination is a new heaven and a new earth where things will indeed be perfect. But as to what the post-COVID normal will look like, we simply don't know. It might be better, it might be worse. However, this passage has got some important things to teach us about the journey. The first is the danger of viewing the past through rose-colored glasses. On their journey through the wilderness, the Israelites talked about Egypt in such glowing terms they remembered the corn, the figs, the grapes, the pomegranates, the meat, the fish, the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, garlic, and onions. What they forgot, however, was that they were slaves, that they had harsh taskmasters who forced them to make bricks without straw, that life was unbearable, and that they cried out to God to rescue them. And now, astonishingly, they want to go back to slavery in Egypt. One of the things that I really like about St. Paul's Church is the way that the church has changed and adapted down the decades. Our purpose has remained the same. We exist to worship God, make new disciples, and transform communities. But the way in which we have done this has kept changing for the sake of the gospel. We've been forced to do things differently, as you know, during the past 12 months. And I don't know what the church will look like in a couple of years' time. But for the sake of the gospel, it's likely to be different to what it was. Some of the changes we might like, others not. But please don't look at the past through rose-coloured glasses. My second point is that God wants all of his people to trust him. Think about the way in which the Israelites responded in times of danger. Time and time again, they grumbled and they complained. And the underlying reason was that they simply were not trusting God. It didn't matter how many times God rescued them. The next time they needed him, they still did not trust him. If you are using the Lectio 365 app, 
you'll know that on Tuesday we were thinking about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They too were facing great danger when they were ordered to worship an image of gold on pain of death. But rather than grumble or complain, they put their trust in God and said to the oppressive king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Now, that's how God wants us to respond in the face of danger and difficulties. And it stands in sharp contrast to the response of the, of the, of the Israelites that we've seen during their journey through the wilderness. I know that there is a lot of fear and anxiety around at the moment. 125 people have died from COVID in the UK alone. Many more people have lost their jobs or are fearful from doing so. So it's understandable that people are anxious about their faith, sorry, about their health, about their jobs and their future. Church leaders are anxious about whether congregations will return after lockdown and whether churches will be financially viable. But in the face of uncertainty, God invites us to trust rather than to grumble. Remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And my third point is mainly for people in positions of leadership. And on this Mothering Sunday, I'm reminded that this doesn't just include leaders of church, leaders at work, leaders of small groups, but it also includes leaders of families too. God wants you to honour him. Moses and Aaron did trust God. It was the community that didn't. But how did, Mo did God want Moses and Aaron to respond when the community failed to trust him? God wanted Moses and Aaron to remind the people that God had been faithful in the past, to remind them how he had provided water the last time they were thirsty, to remind them how God had provided manna and quail when they were hungry, to remind them how God had promised to give them the promised land and that their mission would be successful, to remind them that God can indeed be trusted. That's what God wants of leaders. But Moses and Aaron said nothing. And it was their silence that was dishonoring to God. And so I say to all of us in positions of leadership, we ourselves need to trust God for the future. But on its own, that is not enough. We also need to speak up and encourage others to trust God too. Because it's that is how we honor God. We might not know what the new normal will look like. But as we journey to an uncertain future, this Bible passage reminds us about the danger of looking back and viewing the past 
with rose-colored glasses. It reminds us God wants all of his people to trust him. And it reminds us that God wants those of us in positions of leadership, in families and elsewhere, to honor God by encouraging others to trust him too. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we don't know what the future will bring. We don't know what challenges we will face along the way. But we do know that you are traveling with us. Help us not to look back and to see the past with rose-colored glasses. Help us to trust you every step of the way in all the, fa- all the challenges that we face. And help us to honor you by encouraging others to trust you too. Amen.